0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Justin Harvey Show. Tonight is a very special edition and a very special announcement. Um, I am officially partnered with LNL Magazine. So this interview will also be on that website with my first article off the wheels. And I am proud to welcome a wonderful individual who is a wonderful tennis player, but to beat it all, he is also disabled, and I had to have him for my first article to tell his story. So at this time, I would like to welcome Keith Moon to the show. Welcome, Akif.
1: Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your show.
0: It's it's a pleasure to have you. So, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
0: I, I I'm doing quite well. I'm I'm uh, very excited to conduct this interview. Um, so before we get in into the whole um, uh, tennis thing, um, could you possibly give my audience like a background of yourself and something that also is possibly.
1: You know, um, maybe not in your bio as well that people may not know. So, um, sure. Uh, well, I was born. I was born with neuroblastoma, which is a tumor in the spinal cord. It was a late stage cancer, but um, fortunately, I was able to get through it with um, multiple surgeries and chemotherapy. But as a result, I became disabled so, from the waist down, and so I've been using a wheelchair ever since.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: so, I've always grown up being in a wheelchair, which is, um you know, different from other people I met are disabled that that's up getting injured in the middle of their life. So it's a little bit different, but, um since I was young, I always wanted to, I want, my parents want me to stay active, so, just mm-hmm. getting involved in the things like tennis. Um that's, they put me into things like tennis, kung fu I've tried, also wheelchair racing things like that and but tennis is the sport I fell in love with mm-hmm. and um, so at this point I'm a tennis player and I have a long-term goal making the Paralympic team and um, also you know I, I have a I, I got my undergraduate degree at UCLA a business a mm-hmm. business degree, um, a business economics degree and then I also um, went to grad school and got a master's in sports Management.
0: Oh, oh, wow. Oh, wow.
1: And
0: and I understand that um, you've also been featured on uh, the Jay Leno show. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. So after I graduated from college from UCLA, I was looking for a job, and um, I was able to get into this this special program at NBC. They call it the PAGE program. Some Mm -hmm. people may know. Some people who watch 30 Rock would know. What a page is, but it's basically a good training program where you work in the guest relations office and gift studio tours, and a big part of that also is the where we got we help at the Jay Leno show, helping seat the audience, and that was a that was an awesome experience where you got to be, you, you know, where the pages were single-handed responsible for getting all the audience situated inside and uh, helping out with the lines and everything like that, but wonderful experience, and at the end of the program, I was able to meet Jay Leno, which was pretty awesome, and mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of sad that, you know, he just finished, you know, uh, his show just finished, and it's moved on to another host, um, but I definitely missed that time. It was a great experience.
0: Oh, wow, and, and also, um, be, being disabled, and also, I'm a disabled individual, but from from your perspective, what was it like being in
1: school and being disabled? Oh, yeah, sure. So, all in that, it was difficult um, at times when I was younger because, you know, I I felt like I was out of, I was different, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'm in a wheelchair, everyone else can walk, and then I had little situations like, for, you know, for PE or physical education, I was put into what's called adaptive PE, and I didn't, and that was, separating me from other, you know, the rest of the kids and I didn't really like that and finally I was able to say, you know what, I can do the other things too just like everyone else Mm -hmm. and so finally I was able to get into the regular P with everyone else and I think the struggle for me was just trying to become integrated with everyone else, not always having to feel out of place, which I had felt at times, but as I've grown up, I've learned that it is okay to be different and unique. And everyone has their own challenges. And mine is, you know, my disability. But as, you know, as you know, and people maybe read um, one of the articles I was posted uh, in the the Legends magazine, um, I've been able to do a lot of great things as well. So that hasn't stopped me. And um, one of the big things I've wanted to do is learning to become independent. And that's what I've been able to do. And I think as a disabled person, I don't know about you, but independence I think is one of the key things we strive to have.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, See, yeah. yeah. And I
1: think even able-bodied people, you know, they want to be independent. You don't want to rely on anyone
0: else at mm-hmm. all. That, that's why I tell able people, you know, don't take it for granted because one day you might have it and then the next it may be gone. So, you know, be thankful mm-hmm. for what you do have. and what you don't
1: have, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm always grateful for what I do have and all these opportunities I've been able to... that have been presented to me because of Mm -hmm. my persistence and, you know, trying to... achieving the goals that I've aimed to achieve. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. And you've also done some work in the White House, I understand,
1: correct? Oh, yeah, so... It was interesting, I... Well, it was my senior year of college at UCLA and my dad always encouraged um well he encouraged my older brother and then myself mm-hmm. to go to D C and do an internship so the year before my brother interned with Senator Feinstein. So in um, my senior year I applied through a program at UCLA to get into the D C internship program and I actually didn't get in the first time so I tried again.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: after you get in and you apply to different places to intern, and I never thought of applying to the lighthouse until my dad told me to apply, and I remember telling him, yeah, like, I have a chance, but, you know, I listened to him because he always taught everyone in my family to aim high, mm-hmm. and so I applied, and sure enough, I, I was able to get in, and it was, it was the best experience of my life. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience that I'll never forget, and personally, it was a challenge as well because that that was the first time I lived far away from home, about 3,000 miles away from home, and it was a little scary because I didn't know if I would be able to get around on my own, how the accessibility there was, but that was not, never an issue, and it was a fun experience. Yeah, uh, I, that, yeah. I,
0: I can imagine how scared you must have been because I would have been, you know, even, even though I would have enjoyed it because to me, it would have been like a an adrenaline rush to be in the White House by myself, you know, with no assistance, no no one whatsoever. I, I You know, I can't imagine someone actually doing it, though. I mean, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, no, thanks. And, uh, I mean, I did at UCLA, like when I went to UCLA, I had my first, I think that was kind of the turning point where I became independent because I decided to live on the dorms by myself, and kind of from there, I think, I gradually started taking those next leaps, and just taking that risk to, you know, see what happens, and that was another step, and just making me feel comfortable traveling and living on my own for a long period of time without my family around, and now with tenants, especially last year, I traveled all over the country, and, you know, been able to deal with all these different situations, and it's pretty cool that I'm able to, and you know, I'm happy that I'm able to find a way to do all these different things.
0: Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. And how how did your family feel about you moving, like, thousands of miles away? I mean, were they scared? Were they frightened? Or you
1: know? um, I don't think they were scared. I mean, they always, my family always worries about me, but that's what, you know, that's what great family or great parents always do. But mm-hmm. they, they knew that, you know, I've, I was independent at the time, and they they figured I would be able to do it on my own, and they're very encouraging, and, um, you know, they really helped me develop as a person, just, you know, since I was little, and just helping me with everything, and, you know, letting me do things on my own as well, and, you know, they were very supportive, and anything I did need, you know, I could always reach out to them, and... Uh,
0: mm-hmm. And this next question, Akif, is the obvious one, but I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot of sports out there and a lot of activities. Why tennis? I mean, yeah. you know, out of all the sports in the world, what what really what really got you inspired and started in the in the tennis sport industry?
1: Uh huh. Well, I, well, one of the things that I mentioned that was one of the sports that my parents had put me in at a young age. But as as I developed, as I kept playing, I think one of the things, um, well, one thing I did enjoy being in tennis is when you go to these tournaments, you develop a sense of community, disabled community, where you have friends, you can be around, and you end up running into the same type of players or same same people, so that was a big thing. But uh, with the sport itself, I think it was just the, with tennis, it just gives you, I think, I think all sports are mentally tough. You know, there's a there's an element of being mentally tough. But I think in tennis, one of the things that I like is, especially in singles, you're on your own. In the entire match, you can't. your coach is not allowed to help you. During the match, they can only help you before, and then they can talk to you after. But during the match, if you're struggling, you have to figure it out on your own. And there's parallels with that in, you know, my life, where there are challenges I've had, and you just have to figure things out on your own without anyone telling you, and people can tell you all these different things, but mm-hmm. in the end, you're going to have to figure it out on your, on your own. And within tennis, it's fun because a lot of matches where I'm struggling, then I have to find a way to fight back. Whereas matches I'm doing so well, and then all of a sudden, the opponent changes something, and I end up uh, losing the match. But it's just, I guess the element of having to figure things out on your own and the strategy involved is really... It's it's a great feeling, and I that's one of the reasons I really enjoy tennis as opposed to other sports.
0: Oh, absolutely! And it's to my understanding, O'Keefe, you're supposed to um, represent America in um, uh, twenty. I think it's twenty sixteen in the Olympics or something. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Uh, well, I mean that's that's the goal. I don't know. You know, I'm still working my way up in the rankings, but. You know, that's a goal um, I have, and you know, the last couple years I've been really starting to play, compete more at a a higher level and moving myself up the rankings, but um, yeah, I mean, that's that's my goal, and I know I have a long long way to head, but I'm just going to, you know, continue with the process. I have a great coach and great support from my friends and family, and just see where it goes. You know, if I don't make it, I don't make it, but I just want to go through the process and see what happens. And if I don't make 2016, then there's still 2020. One of the cool things with in wheelchair tennis, as opposed, I guess, to able body tennis, um, mm-hmm. there's people at uh, you know past 30 or even older than that that are competing at a high level. So I still have a lot of years ahead. If you know, if I don't make it this time, I'm I'm 28 right now, but I, you know, I think I can go another you know 10, 15, 20 years. I play with. People, like, double my age or even a lot older. So, you know, that's one thing that's cool about the sport. You can still compete at a high level even when you get older. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's
0: amazing. Me and you are actually the same age. That's pretty cool. Um, If if tennis was, let's just say for the sake of things here, if tennis was not available to you, if it did not Mm -hmm. exist, uh, what yeah. other sport would you have chosen or path would you have chosen?
1: Um, that's tough because I'm, I'm a huge sports guy. Like, I love a lot of sports. And I've played other sports for fun. And I, I don't know which sport I would choose. I, I guess basketball or even... I love watching hockey, so mm-hmm. it would be cool to try out hockey even though there's a lot of contact and stuff. But trying maybe, like... The ice hockey, or or like the sled hockey, or even, um, or even like a roller hockey type thing. That would be cool. But I don't know if I can pick one. There's just so many. I love all these different sports. So I think any of those, I guess basketball or hockey would be cool to try out. Yeah. Have you, um,
0: have you had the opportunity, like, being in the, um, tennis industry, have you had the opportunity to meet, like, some celebrity tennis players?
1: Uh, no i oh, i'm trying to think i mean i've been to i've been the to tournament um i mean normally the wheelchair tournaments are separate from the able body tournament but mm-hmm. I guess I mean just kind of going as a spectator of these tournaments or maybe once in a while certain tournaments or maybe someone a special guest or um, uh, a, you know a, one of the tennis athletes um, that'd be there like i know one term I went to I got I was able to get a picture with one of the Brian brothers who are great doubles legends. They're still playing right now. And also actually it's funny on the Tonight when I was on the Tonight Show mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to meet well, I just got to shake it hand uh the tennis athlete, uh, Novak Djokovic, one of the top players in the world, so I had a couple of opportunities here in there.
0: Oh wow, that, that that's amazing and and also you inspire me, Keith, because I've I've been through something similar because I've had I've had, you know, major surgeries, you know, with my mm-hmm. disability. Can can you talk about like some of the surgeries that you've had and some some of the troubles that you've had because I read your story and then you would have a surgery and then a rod would break or something and then mm-hmm. you couldn't compete for several several months. And
1: have to go through the whole process again. Yeah, it's, yeah. I had a uh, well back in 1998 It was uh, well one of the I, when I was younger, I wore what's called a back brace, mm-hmm. and because I have scoliosis. So I had to wear back brace for the longest time. And what one of the things that did keep me from being independent, I had to rely on someone else to help me put the brace on. And then finally, around when I was thirteen, the doctor said, you know, we could put a rod in. To help, you know, straighten out your back a little bit better to correct the scoliosis, and that would prevent me from wearing the back brace. So in 1998, I got the surgery done, and then what happened? About that, obviously, when I had the surgery, I had to stop playing tennis for a while, and then two years later, it broke, and then six months later, it was going to break, it broke again. So I missed a lot of time from there, from not being able to compete in or, or even just staying active in general, which is tough. Because throughout my life, I've always wanted to stay active. But mm-hmm. the hardest time, I think, was in 2008. I ended up feeling a lot of pain in my back. And it was really excruciating pain. The day just sitting down would hurt. And I couldn't do any physical activity, let alone tennis.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we had to go out and figure out you know what the problem was, and we found out the rod broke again. And around that time, I was gaining a lot of momentum with my tennis, and that was kind of where I decided to play tennis at a more at a higher level, where I found the coach that I'm with now, and having actually making that goal of trying to make the Paralympics in the future. At that time, I met with them maybe around 2005, 2006. So that time I was thinking maybe 2012, and I was really when after I played. Uh, go out, working with him, I, my game improved so much, and I started seeing some great results. And then, you know, this happened, and it took it took a few months to figure what was wrong. And then I had to get the rod. I realized we had to fix um, the rod, the broken rod again. And it was a uh, intense surgery. It was 14 hours long. And at there, I remember along the way, some of the doctors, which kind of upset me. They're saying, "Oh, you shouldn't be playing tennis anymore." I don't think it's a good idea. You're just going to aggravate your back even more. And I I was really upset to hear that. And I I remember I was, like, crying to my dad, like, why are they telling me this? You know, I don't want to see this doctor ever again. And so I did have doubts along the way, but in the back of my mind, I always wanted to get back on the court. And so after going through this long surgery, which which, uh, now looking back, it's been the it it turned out really well. My back feels better than ever, and I didn't think it would be possible going through all these major mm-hmm. surgeries. And since then, I had you know I had a couple setbacks. I had another setback having some other pain on my rib area that kept me out. But finally, in 2011, I was able to compete and started traveling a lot. And especially last year, and then of course, and then at the end of last year, I started. I developed another injury with tennis elbow, which I'm dealing with now, but it's finally almost gone, but I just, and the, the point is, with all, the, with all these setbacks, I'm not afraid that, that I, I'm not going to let it stop me from getting to my goals, to the Paralympics, and competing, and, and tennis, because tennis is my passion. That
0: That's a, that's a great attitude to have. Now, dur- during these hard times, um, was there any time that, um, you faced any type of um, depression at this time that you were, you know, having this trouble, and, you know, the doctors telling you, you know, you're not supposed to play tennis and and this and that, and you know, kind of give us your family's perspective on what they thought you should do as well.
1: So. Uh, I think, I don't know if I faced a depression. I mean, it was, especially around the time in you know, when I realized I broke my rod again after what seven years, mm-hmm. it was it was rough. Uh, you know, I I couldn't. I was also living on my own. That was when I was working at NBC, and I would have days where I would just go home and lay down because I was in so much pain. So it was really difficult. And I tried, and here and there I would try to do some activity like going to the gym. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, so it was. I'm not gonna lie. It was a, it was a pretty tough time and. You know, I, you know, I had to get, my family was always supportive and, you know, talking to me and dealing with my frustration. But they always, they're always helping me and, you know, finding the right doctor to figure out the right type of treatment and, uh, mm-hmm. which I was fortunately able to find in the end. And, is, uh, is there, oh,
0: go, ahead. go ahead. Um, is there anything else that, um possibly motivate you as well besides, you know, just tennis? Is there anything else that, you know, motivates you?
1: That that motivates me? Uh, Yeah, and one of the other things I like to do, well, I have a couple other things. I have a co found a nonprofit organization with my dad kind of stemming from going to D.C., and that's an internship program for Muslim college students to get them to intern in D.C. and Mm kind of get, see how the government works and get involved in civic engagement. So that's one of the things I enjoy doing and trying to help others and becoming leaders. And then the other thing I like is just doing things like this where, you know, sharing my story and I want to get into more speaking engagements, you know, motivational speaking, and because I want to help other people out that are struggling like I am. Or that may be out like I am, whether they're disabled or not. I mean, everyone they mentioned, everyone has their own struggles, and I, you know, mm-hmm. that's one things that I want. I'm motivated to find ways to help other people find their way, any way I can. Just if it's just from sharing my story or hearing another voice, mm-hmm. that's that's what I enjoy doing.
0: Well, in my opinion, Keith, I've only known you a short time, but I can tell you, you would be a great. Spokesperson for uh, sick children, or you know, underprivileged children that you know want to live their dreams, but they just don't know how. Because your story is just so inspirational that I I think that if you did something like this in the future, I I think that that would like make a total impact on, on the community and on the planet.
1: Uh, thanks, I appreciate that. So, um, uh,
0: so uh, have you um lived in the same place always, or did you move around a lot? Or talk a little bit about that?
1: Uh, I grew up. I, I grew up in uh. Well I, well, I was born in Torrance, Torrance Memorial Hospital in Torrance, California. I've, I've basically been born and raised in Southern California uh, throughout my entire life. I haven't. I haven't really lived anywhere else for any long periods of time except when I interned at the White House. I I lived in D.C. for a couple of months, but um, but I've grown up, born and raised since I'm in Southern California. Spoiled with the weather, I love it here, and I don't know. If, I don't see myself going anywhere else, but you never know.
0: Wow! Wow! Yeah. Now, um uh I'm gonna throw. I'm going to throw a tennis name out there and this is the only guy that I actually know, uh, well, I don't personally know him, but that I yeah. know that plays tennis. What do you think of uh, Pete Sampras?
1: Oh, uh, I, I remember uh, he was one of the people or one of the players I grew up watching. I really, he was one of the top American players at the time and that's that's kind of around when I started watching more tennis on my own and I started getting interest in watching the sport, and, you know, he's a great competitor, and and he had an interesting, you know, game, and the serve and volley game, which is cool, and just Mm -hmm. looking back at, like, how the game has changed from back then to now, um, it's just interesting to see, and, um, but I have a lot of respect for him, and, you know, all these other, you know, all these other top players, It's, it's cool to see, like, you know, how they approach the game and their different styles. That's Mm -hmm. one of the cool things when I watch tennis. You not only see what they do on the court, but you learn how their approach is off the court and their demeanor as well. Everyone has their own, shows their own um, emotions in different ways. And, you know, he was more of a quiet, quiet type. He didn't say as much, but he showed it on the court. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh what's what's your thoughts on social media like Facebook and Twitter and, and all that because, you know, um in, in my opinion, Facebook and Twitter is is uh very handle uh very uh capable and very fun for people like me and you because like with my situation with my disability it's hard for me to go places but with yeah. the Internet at the tip of my fingers, I can talk to anybody that I seek out. So I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, social media. Oh,
1: so. uh, yeah, I mean, social media is great. I mean, you can reach out. It's so cool. You can reach out to people anywhere in the world, not just within the country. And it's definitely a great way of just, you know, getting people, you know, connecting to people in different ways, whether it's sharing a story online, you could share it with everyone in a quick second, or just, um, you know, people posting things online and saying, oh, I need help with this, and you can just, you know, in minutes you can find a way to, you know, answer them and and reach out to them, but yeah, social media is definitely great for, um, you know, people like, you know that can't go around as much, but for just anyone in general, because you're able to reach people across the world where you couldn't do that before. So, mm-hmm. uh, and especially, I think nowadays to promote, you know, to a lot of people have their own Facebook pages or, you know, post a lot of things on Facebook to kind of to share their own personality with other people and also by doing that, helping other people, like, you know, by sharing my story, they'll spread across to other people, and they'll share it with their friends, and things like that. So, I I, I think social media is great. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And if you could choose one thing, Keith, what would you want people to remember you for?
1: I would want them to remember me for, the ability to stay resilient, not not giving up. I think that's one of the messages I like to always bring to everyone. Like, I've had a lot of challenges, whether it's having to learn to become independent or, you know, trying to get an internship or a job or, you know, with my battles with injury in tennis, I think I've never given up, even though I've had struggles along the way. Always in the back of my mind, I'm, I, I keep, continue to keep going regardless of what anyone else is saying or anything that gets in the way. So I want people to remember me by how, how you know, don't you know, how I haven't let anything stop me from doing what I want to do. And we have one life, you know, we have one life, and should be able to do anything you aim to achieve. Oh,
0: absolutely, and. Um... You you drive, correct, and have like a like a van that you can you can drive and
1: stuff? Uh yeah, actually about three and a half years ago. Well I've driven since I was seventeen and before I would do I would drive a regular car and just like any car. I think I, my first one was a station wagon and all they would do is put in the hand controls in and <laughs> but I would still getting in I would have to take apart my chair uh, and then put it in, and it, it, as I learned, you know, having these back issues it put a lot of pre- pressure on my back and my shoulders. So finally, about three, no, four years ago, I was able to find a dealer, in, not too far from me, and they were selling Honda Elements that came with the ramp. They they sent it to factory in Michigan and modified it with the ramp. So now I was able to have this car where the ramp comes out from the passenger side. I go in. I transfer, lock my chair in and it's so much easier and convenient now. I'm not having to worry about putting pressure on my back and taking um, apart my chair, anything like that. It just it just makes things more simple and it's I, I it's a nice car too as well. I like it. So I'm very fortunate I was able to find that and I think it's definitely helped a lot. But it's it's great, like in terms of being independent, being able to drive is is awesome, especially here in Southern California, there's really no, everything's so spread out. It's really hard to use public transportation, which is limited here. So it's another sense of freedom, and there's some days I just appreciate that I, I am able to drive and get around on my own from place to place. So I love, I love driving. So,
0: so how, how do you feel when someone calls you an inspiration?
1: I, I I like it. I think, you know, I, I, I guess it makes me smile because someone is telling me that, you know, hey, I, I'm, I, or to me it means that I'm actually helping someone, you know, in some way that I'm inspiring them to become a better person or, you know, helping them with a goal or whatever that they aim to be doing. So it's it's a great feeling when I do hear that as well. Um Whether it's, you know, regardless of that, I don't know if it's because, you know, it's it's from just seeing all the different things I've been able to do or not, um, Mm -hmm. regardless if I'm disabled or not. So, you know, I I I don't mind it when people say that, and I think I'm happy when people say that I'm an inspiration to them. And, you know, I'm hoping that, to me, I think, I feel like I'm helping them out. Mm
0: -hmm. and from reading your story, you have achieved a lot. Because I, I had to read the thing twice. I mean, it was a lot of reading to do. I mean, because you've done so much. But um, uh, what, what would you like to achieve for 2014?
1: 2014? Well, I was definitely, obviously, getting through this, this tennis level injury and getting back on the court and, you know, competing you know, continuing to compete in these tournaments and trying to, you know, improve my game. Uh, I actually got a new tennis wheelchair. Um, so, for those who don't know, you know, a lot of it's, with the technology nowadays, all the all the different wheelchair sports, they have a a chair designated for that sport because it's built a certain way, so you can compete at a high level. So, basically, the chair is a big. It's it's just another piece of equipment that's part of the sport that you need to have, and so I'm excited to have a new tennis chair to start using, and um, so I'm excited about doing, you know, using the tennis chair. Um, But definitely just getting back on the court and trying to get better and improving my game, and then um, also just trying to, you know, trying to do, try to start doing some public, more public speaking and inspiring Mm -hmm. others in some format.
0: at the time, at the time of your accident and stuff, um, was there any time that you had to use like a power chair that was motorized that you couldn't, you know, like push yourself, or did y'all did you just use like a manual chair? Or, I mean, you know, kind of take us through that process.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. When I was younger, I well, I've always used a manual chair, but I think when I was younger, my chairs have handles were. You know, I'd have people push me, but I also pushed on my own. Um, But, and I remember, I don't know why, but I remember when I was in elementary and middle school, I would let people push me, like, I don't know if they wanted to, so I let them push me, you know, not in a mean way, just push me around. So I would have some type of handles on my chair when I was younger. But as I grew older and wanting to become more independent, I, you know, my chair started becoming more, Sport-like, and they don't really have handles, so I I don't really. So basically, from for the for you know, for quite a few years, I just push on my own, having the manual chair. Um, and in general, I don't like people having. You know, I don't like people pushing me unless I really need the help. Um, mm-hmm. Because again, I like to do things on my own.
0: Oh, I, absolutely! And I'll tell you one one of my biggest pet peeves, Akeith, was like. When a friend when a friend of mine would be sitting with me, um, uh-huh. everything would be fine. And then they put they would put their leg on my footrest and just rest their leg there. And I'm like, excuse <laughs> you, you know, you're you're invading my space.
1: <laughs> oh know? yeah, no, I, I can definitely relate to you because I I know like yeah, you feel like you're you know you feel your chair is part of your property like it's part of you, so you don't mm-hmm. want them to you know touch that. And I remember like you know, people in my family or friends would, like, put their foot on my wheel and even though it, it just bothers me for some reason, so, I, you know, I tell them not to put it on there because it is part of me, I don't know. but so, yeah, it's definitely a big pet peeve of mine.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was one of my that was one of my biggest pet peeves and then sometimes people would just, you know, push me and I not want pushed and I'm like, what do you think you're doing And You know, and sometimes I would be in high school, and and this was years ago, but I would be in high school, and I used to have to nudge people to get out of the way, because I was trying to get to my classes and stuff. Did you ever have, you know, issues like that, where you had to kind of nudge people with your chair to let them know that you were there to get the heck out of the way, you know?
1: Yeah, sometimes I keep saying I should just get a horn, so... And people just move out of the way quickly, but yeah, no, it's I I would have to I'll try to you know I always say excuse me politely to try to get through and maybe I have to tap their shoulder or something to get them to move out of the way. But yeah, it, it can be a struggle and um, and just to go back to your point about like you know people trying to push you and stuff. You know I don't you know that's you know that can be annoying as well. And one thing that you know people up. Like, I don't mind when people ask. You know, they ask you for help. That's fine, because, you know, I I would ask people if they need help as well, just like any other human being. But, you know, then when you say no, you don't, you know, you want them to just leave you alone. But there's some people that still think you need help, and then they try to help you, and that gets a little frustrating. But, um, yeah, that's another little pet peeve of mine as well. And another
0: thing I didn't really like in high school, like, when I would, You know, do like physical therapy, and we'll we'll get to that in a second. But when I do like physical therapy, some of my friends would, um, I'd get on my walker, and some of my friends would get in my wheelchair and start, you know, wheeling around in it and 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 doing wheelies and stuff. I'm like, geez, you know, that that is my, you know, that is my property, you know. And it's just, I've seen I've seen people be careless with, you know with wheelchairs, and they don't realize that, you know, this equipment um, doesn't come cheap.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I know. I mean, everyone is fascinated by the wheelchairs. When you get off of it, they want to sit in it and move around. But, yeah, like, I I get worried that, you know, I'm like, don't mess it up or don't, just please be careful with it because it is part of us. We need the wheelchair to get around. Um, so.
0: Oh, yeah, and, um, ha, you know, d- despite your accident, have you ever been in any, uh, like, life, any other life-threatening situations?
1: Uh, no, fortunately, you know, after they got rid of the cancer when I was a baby, and nothing, it's never come back or anything, so I've been lucky. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't had any life-threatening Incident. I mean, I obviously went through major surgeries, but they were, they were never life-threatening. I mean, of course, they were scary, especially the last back surgery, which was 14 hours. But, um, you know, I had to be on a breathing tube for a while because um, they, when they went through the surgery, they had to deflate the lung, and it was normal to be on a breathing tube after. And that was a experience I never went through before, but, you know, fortunately, in the end, I was okay and i I don't think my life was in ever any danger Uh so I'm lucky for that wow it's um
0: ha, have you ever thought have you ever thought about getting into like politics and and making a positive difference for um disabled people on a political level um
1: I' well, like kind of thought of it. I'm, I mean, when I, you know, obviously intern at the White House and everything, but I don't know, I mean, maybe on a different level I feel like it can make an impact. I don't know, definitely not running for office or any of that type of thing. Definitely, it doesn't seem to fit my personality to do that. Um, but, I mean, I would want to help, you know, help in other ways by, you know, getting well in the organization or, you know, doing speaking or something like that. I think I can make a better impact on you know, doing it in that way, or at least, um, that I just don't see myself being involved in the political field.
0: hmm Now, now, if there, if there is ever a time that you have to stop, uh, playing tennis, what would your plans be then? Would you try to do coaching, or what would you try to do if, let's say, for instance, you had to stop? I mean, I mean, physically uh-huh. you had to stop.
1: Uh-huh. Um, well, definitely, you know, I think coaching will be cool, and then also, as I mentioned to you, I have a, um, a master's in sports management, so I would definitely, you know, use that degree, again, I'm not using it right now, I'm, you know, working, my dad is a small business, so I'm working there right now, and, you know, learning about running a small business, And um, but it's not sports related, so I would definitely, I would definitely go back into sports and try to get a job in that field, whether it's, more on the business slash marketing side is what I enjoy doing, which I experienced through my internships. Um, whether it's tennis or hockey, about any of the major sports or working for a network or a team. So I would definitely want to go back into that um, if I couldn't play tennis. And definitely coaching would be cool just because I can apply my knowledge and help other people out that, you know, are, want to get, you know, get better in the sport and want to play. So I've been, I think that'd be fun as well. Oh, and I
0: wanted to let my audience know that um, you can see uh, Keith's um, message in a bottle video on um, on the LNL uh, website. I'm not sure exactly what the web address is, but uh, um, I can get a hold of Gordon Rakusa for my uh, for my audience if if they need that address to to see your uh to see your video and I'm I'm sure that your video your message in a bottle um is also on YouTube. Uh but uh, tell us about tell us about that day for your message in a bottle.
1: Oh, thanks. Well I mean I enjoyed I enjoyed listening to yours as well. I thought yours was a great, you know, message in a bottle and you know, before that I was looking at what other people kind of just to see what the format of it was. But, yeah, I I just, I enjoyed doing it, and I just spoke, you know, I just spoke from the heart, like, about, you know, my message to people, and just, you know, don't let anything get in the way and stop you from doing what you want to do, regardless of what other people are telling you and any obstacles that get in the way. So, you know, I enjoyed doing it, and I think other people, and my friends said it, you know, it was good, and they, they liked how I, you know, I was very... I spoke from the heart. I wasn't, you know, reading from anything, and I was just saying what I feel. Um, so I'm hoping that inspired other people, or would help others as well, which mm-hmm. is always my goal. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, I think that for me and you really relate because even though we're in different industries and and different mm-hmm. things, we want to, you know, we want to help people and inspire people because. I just want to give you a quick example. Um, people mm-hmm. in college told me that, you know, me doing a radio show was not feasible and I would never be able to do it. And, and um, you know, like you, I've proved them wrong. I mean, I'm sure you've had people tell you, even when you started, oh, Keith, you can't play tennis and you can't do this and you can't do that, correct? I mean, you've probably had that yeah. somewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, but I think part of it just, you know, uh yeah, it's definitely frustrating, and I think part of it just people don't understand. Like, I guess they're not, uh, you know, they're not aware that we can do a lot of different things. And, but I think, you know, once they, you know, once they start meeting people who are disabled, they can see it because a lot of people are like, "Wow, you play tennis," and they just don't understand how I can play. So I explain it to them and see. But yeah. You know. But, yeah, there's people that will say, yeah, I don't, you know, they probably give you, they'll give me a look and, like, say, you know, why are you playing tennis or, like, you know, things like that. And I just ignore it. And, you know, it's awesome you did it, too. Here you, know, you have your radio show, and I'm sure you've, you know, dealt with other types of situations as well. So I definitely, you know, respect you for that. Um, and, you know, you have a great story as well. And, um, yeah.
0: Oh, uh, absolutely! And um, if if you ever um if you ever like like you want to compete in this Olympics, if you ever get invited, I definitely want to do a um, a cover story or a debut story and and have you back on the show talking talking about this because that's going to be that's going to be a huge milestone in your career, my friend. To be honest,
1: Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. That would be awesome. It definitely be nice to talk to you about it. Yeah.
0: So, um, in your in your final in your final thoughts, Keith, uh, what what would you like to, you know, and you it can be about tennis, it can be about anything, but what what's the number one thing that you want uh, my audience to know in the internet world uh, to know because this is going to be. On YouTube and on my Twitter account and on Facebook, I mean, it's going to be everywhere, my friend. So, what would you, what would you like to pass along? <laughs> I
1: was putting you on the spot here. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, it's fine. I think. Uh, I mean, kind of just going back. I, you know, just. I think just you know you know, find your passion and, uh, you know, find your passion and, you know, explore that option and, you know, see if it's a possibility, you know, do whatever you can to make it reality. And I feel that, um, you know, there are ways to do it. There's so many other, you know, besides Meister, there's, I've seen so many other inspiring stories of how people start from nowhere and able to do great things and having to face some, crazy obstacles along the way and I think it's just you know, you just have to you know if you do want to do something I think I think anyone, you know, I think anyone can get to that point. They just stick you know, stick their mind to it, keep going. And of course there's doubts along the way and you'll have these struggle, which I've had as well and there's times where I didn't think I'd be playing tennis or, you know, able to able to interrupt the White outs or, you know, get it work you know, in the real world, things like that, but, you know, you just have to keep going, and don't let anything get in the way, um, you know, and do what makes you happy as well, and, you know, that's, that's the other important thing, always, you know, do what you enjoy, because, again, we only have one life, you know, to be able to do what we'd like, and you don't want to do something where you're just going to be frustrated and upset all the time, you, if something makes you happy, and, you know, and don't let anything get in the way, I think that's, that's my ultimate thing that I like to share with other people and that's the model I stick I stick to. Is just sticking, you know, believe in yourself and just trust, trust the process and, you know, all these experiences will turn into something as long as you stick to it.
0: Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. And I do have one more question that I must get in there. I, I can't believe that I didn't think of it and now I've thought of it. Um, uh, tell my audience um, uh, what type of uh, training regimen you follow.
1: Okay, um, so for tennis, I well, especially last year. You know, I'm you know i starting to compete at a higher level. Last year, I you know I, I I I played in a lot of different tournaments. I played played like twelve, thirteen tournaments. So you know, I would I would just practice maybe you know three, maybe four times a week. Try to go to the gym once or twice. Just doing uh, at the gym, doing cardio, like the upper body ergometer, which is an upper body bike. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh,
1: I would do that, do some weights, and I would do the the type of exercise I would do is more tennis-related movements, like simulating a forehand or a backhand, and strengthening those muscles. Um, But during the season, you don't want to do too much, too much with the weights. You just want to kind of keep yourself active and on the court just with the practices, you know, doing doing a lot of, maybe one day a lot of cardio and, you know, my, my coach, I stick to what my coach, you know, has me do and he'll change it up a lot where it's a lot of different drills, a lot of hard work with pushing drills and, you know, a lot of rep, rep, repetition with hitting balls, different type of specific drills and certain situational plays and then also doing games and, you know, simulating points. Um and that's and throughout, you know, with the tournaments going on, like a lot of it's focused on just kind of um uh what's the word? Just just kind of um God, I can't even think of it, but basically just correcting any uh little thing, not trying anything too crazy, not changing anything up. just sticking mm-hmm. to that and just kind of reevaluating after each tournament. That's kind of you know the training regimen I have, and right now, obviously, I'm just trying to get better in terms of my injury, so I'm just doing, you know, rehab work, like, different type of therapy to get my tennis Mm -hmm. elbow to go away, and then once that goes away, then I could start getting back on the court as well, and kind of stick to the same type of routine.
0: Speaking of uh, tennis elbow, um, for, for my audience that are scratching their head and, like, saying what... Can you kind of explain to
1: them what tennis elbow is? Oh, yeah, sorry, I should have thought of that. Uh, it's it's basically, not only tennis players get it, but it's a it's just a type of tendonitis in your um, elbow slash forearm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, it can be really bad. I mean, when I got it, and I think I played through the injury as well last year, which made it worse. But when you would squeeze things, you would be hurting it. and. Um, uh, there's just a lot of pressure on your elbow. So any type of swinging motion or gripping, <laughs> gripping anything, you would be hurting it. So I'm mm-hmm. just, you know, there's not too much you can do except to, you know, put like an elbow brace so it the stress and just trying to just rest it. And it's kind of out of my control, but I found the, physica, the type of physical therapy to do, um, called egotsky and they look at your body posture and alignment and they're helping me realign my muscles so i'm putting less pressure off mm-hmm. the elbow um but a- anyone else can get it not just people that are playing tennis people that are doing a lot of lifting or working maybe doing a lot of desk work things like that So it's just kind of from what i've heard it's a very common injury and i've never gotten it before but it's definitely not fun <laughs>
0: Oh, I can imagine. And uh, if if any if any of my fans and audience uh, wants to reach out to you, are you out there on social media like Facebook and Twitter? Because I want to I want to give you a moment here to maybe possibly plug that. Or do you have your own do you have your own official website? Or
1: uh, I have. Well, I mean, I'm just on Facebook right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have my own Facebook page, but. I guess that's something I should start doing. And I have a web domain name that I need to, I need to create a website. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm not as I, – I mean, I know you're very active on social media. I'm not as active as you, but, um, you know, I definitely would like to start being more active on social media. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you can find me on Facebook or um, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I can give you – and I can give my email address or whatever. Um, you know, if people want to reach out to me. That's fine as well. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: yeah if, if you're comfortable with that, uh, <laughs> give give people your email address. So if they have comments or questions about the show, or you know, just questions in general, because your story is too good not to tell, my friends. So go ahead and no. um, uh, <laughs> give out your email.
1: Yeah, just uh, Atifmoon at UCLA. Edu. Uh, uh A, T is in Tom, I, F as in Frank, and then Moon, like the moon in the sky, at UCLA.edu. And, yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I'm definitely happy to help with answering any questions anyone may have. And, you know, um, you know whatever you're struggling with, I'd be happy to help out.
0: hmm And um, I, I would like to say real quick to my fans and, and friends, uh follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Justin Ray Harvey and Keith I'd like to say on behalf of the Justin Harvey show and l and L thank you for being on the show
1: well, thank you Justin for having me it was definitely a pleasure to be on the show and um, I'm glad you had me on
0: oh uh, it's it's been a blast my friend and I, I'm sure that me and you will keep in touch uh, through email and I will definitely want to have you back on a return show, and this has just been awesome.
1: Yeah, definitely. Let me know, and I definitely would be happy to be back on the show. Thank Um, you.
0: But um, you, you be safe, my friend, and I'll be speaking to you in the near future.